this this conclusion of the trial yesterday was not a surprise. Now, you know, the guilty verdict was always considered a foregone conclusion. She pled guilty back on July 7th. I think maybe I, I maybe conclusion isn't the right word to use because while she was sentenced to, you know, not, I mean, prosecutors asked for nine and a half years. Um, they said, well, she intentionally broke the law. Like, I don't know enough about international law and and the politics involved and everything else to, to get into this. I just know that if a Russian was caught in the U.S. with a little bit of cannabis, they would go to prison for nine years. And, you know, I, I think from what I understand, from what I've read, from what T.J. Quinn has written for ESPN, they were just waiting for this trial to finish because that was when they could really begin negotiations for a potential prisoner swap. The nine years was not a surprise for those that are involved in the legal side of this. You know, addressing the court yesterday, she said she made an honest mistake. She was taking some responsibility and said, that's why I pled guilty. Um, I had no intent to break any Russian laws. You know, she'd been playing for, uh, you know, I guess a a team in Russia. She's been playing there in WNBA offseason since 2014. She's one of the best basketball players ever. And while her attorney hoped for leniency, the length of the sentence is really a formality. It is about the negotiation. So it's not a conclusion of the Griner story. I don't think she's going to be there for nine years. U.S. officials said she was wrongfully detained. And, you know, I... I And compared to other Americans who have been detained in Russia, her legal case actually moved more rapidly than theirs. It's it's notable. But, yeah, I would expect this just to be the beginning of negotiations. And, again, I I don't know a ton about the, the Russian side of things. Obviously, it's very unfortunate. Obviously, it's sad. But if you heard nine years yesterday and you're like, oh, my God, that's... That wasn't a surprise. The real story is what comes next. This is ESPN Laugh. He had the best ticket in sports on a Gimme All You Got Friday. Give me all you got. Give me all you got. Gus Kaigel joining me next. Brad Topham at 8. We got Rage Occasion football players at 8.30. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Go, I 
Welcome back into the great Scott show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Coming at you on a Give Me All You Got Friday. I feel like it's been a while since I've chatted with him on these airwaves, but Gus Catniel joining us from the road. He is on the way to the beach with his family, and yet he's that good of a friend that he is making time this morning to talk a little Saints and Pels with us, our Saints Intelligence correspondent. Gus, I would open up and ask you about the uh, Hall of Fame game last night. If I thought anyone actually cared, they don't. They were just happy to see uniforms on TV. The game itself didn't mean anything. So I'll open up by asking you this, man. What, what's beach life like? How is vacation with the family? Uh, looking forward to it, man, uh, for sure. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like once you uh, see the sand, know the water, kind of just, uh, you know, breathe that fresh air. <laughs> so um, it's, it's needed. I, I can definitely tell you that. Therapeutic, man. It's good to get off the clock every now and then. So I'm sorry to have you talking workshop on your way to the beach. But um, before before I, I ask you a few things about the Saints and, you know, Tyron Matthew missing the first six practices but coming back and who's looking good and, and all this other stuff and big nasty Trevor Penning. Real quick, on the Pelicans, there actually is a date coming up that's worth noting. So August 8th marks the, the, the I, I guess, six months since the McCollum Larry Nance trade from Portland, which means they are both then eligible to sign extensions with the Pelicans. Now, McCollum's got two years left. He's 31. Nance turns 30 on New Year's Day. He's got one year left on his deal. What should their approach be to both of these guys? Because on one hand, you could you could offer McCollum almost like three-year extension at nearly $140 million. Now, he's not worth that. But you've got the... The, you know, the, the next TV contract coming up in a few years, the uh, salary cap luxury tack, you're expecting it to increase a little bit. Nance is kind of the perfect backup to an offensive-minded Jonas Valanciunas. He could play the four and the five off the bench, but he has a little bit of an injury history. Like, it's, I know that this isn't at the top of the list, but you are a Saints and Pelicans correspondent. What should the team's approach be to to these two guys who have both stated they want to be in New Orleans for a while. They want to, you know, I mean, CJ said he wants to finish his career there. Larry says, I definitely want to extend. How should the Pels approach this? Man, I I think okay with where the contract is, considering he's got two years and stuff um, with, with CJ. I really like Nance's. I guess place on this team. I, I, you know, it's one of the reasons we were talking about what were they going to do in the off season in terms of moving some roster spots in order to maybe free up some of that money or even roster spots to begin with. And of course, we're speaking still of Devontae Graham, still on the team. Obviously, Jackson Hayes. I, I just think probably going to kind of let and, and wait to see. Still, what happens to Kevin Durant? Scott, I mean, we're, you know, it's essentially football season now. We still haven't seen anything, which kind of gives me, you know, more reason to believe that I think the Nets may do the same thing. Hey, we'll, we'll see in September and October, and let's see what happens and, and and kind of go from there. I think the trade deadline may also be a situation to do that. Look, I, I think there's a good understanding 
between the organization and those players. I think, as you and I have talked about in the past, in a short, short amount of time, the fact that I bring up the fact that McCollum is almost like a breeze-like figure in that locker room and on this organization, Scott, if, if CJ's agent hinted or said, hey, look, maybe we need to secure you here for another three to four years, and it may have been the, the other way around. I mean, obviously, I think these are probably discussions that were made, at least on, on CJ's standpoint, Scott, probably the trade when that happened. You know, it, that was probably discussed. I mean, players of that magnitude making that kind of money with so many years remaining on the contract, for the franchise's sake, they probably want to know, hey, we got you probably closer to four years than the two. And when you look at the Zion extension, that would make sense, Scott. I mean, so I, I see why you're asking because I could totally see a two-year extension to make sure, like BI, like everybody else, you're, you're tied with Zion's contract, and then you reevaluate where everybody's at when everybody's, you know, deal is up in and around that, that, that period. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and obviously Larry Nance is not going to be the same type of contract extension you're going to give to C.J. McCullough, but it makes sense. I definitely think it's, you know, one of those things where it's a, a, a centerpiece and – like I said, a breeze-like position on this team. So it probably makes sense for both sides. Hey, I got a little bit more security for two more years, guaranteed cash. If I'm CJ, if I'm the organization, I know I got you for two more years. And let's just go make a run here over the next four. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Gus Cagnell, our guest. I think I think McCollum would be open to working with the Pelicans on a number that, that – both sides might feel as comfortable um, signing, but you know it's it's a business at the end of the day. Thirty million or so for McCollum at age thirty-four, maybe thirty-five, might seem like a big haul uh, right now. But you know what's the NBA market going to look like? I mean that ne- again, the the next TV contract in twenty twenty-four, I think, is when it hits. You know, it pushes the cap up. And, and you're seeing more high-level players sign extensions right now and unrestricted free, cl- free agent classes. It's, it's, it's different than it used to be, right? They're not as, you know, th- this offseason in the NBA, aside from Durant requesting a trade, which has not happened, it wasn't the, um, man, it was salacious, probably the wrong word. I, I, I can't think of the right word for it. But it just, it wasn't. There was a whole lot more sizzle than steak by the end of it, right? There was a lot of hype, but there wasn't this constant movement in the the gigantic. I guess my point is, lately, the trend has been more, hey, if you're a really good player, you sign the extension as opposed to wait and hit unrestricted free agency. Um, and, and I think, you know, Nance, I think you can wait until maybe during the next season and kind of get a feel for I think you want to get a feel for how both are going to look with Zion in there. Speaking of Zion, last point on the Pels, Gus, uh, the the weight clause in the contract, right? That came out last week, uh, and it was talked about, well, he has to be below 295. Turns out, you know, other reports this week say that's only if he were to actually get waived, which would be the worst-case scenario. Zion's contract, at the end of the day, is very similar to that one Joel Embiid signed with Philadelphia, after missing, you know, the good bit of two of the first three seasons, it protected the team, but it also paid Joel if he was going to, you know, play well and stay healthy. So, look, 
I, I understand why the weight clause would get discussed. I understand why Zion's weight will continue to be a talking point. But just to separate fact from fiction, it's not like if he comes to camp and he weighs 296 pounds, they don't have to pay him. That's not actually what it, it states. When you get deeper into it, he only loses out on the guarantee or the quote guaranteed money if he had to be waived with some kind of injury distinction and things just got so bad that he was never playing. And I think that's important. Of course, that's not really going to be talked about much this week. It's just going to continue to be about the weight. But I wanted to get that out there since everybody's just been talking a lot about Zion, who, by the way, is, uh, you know, (laughs) looking pretty shredded these days, Gus. Yeah, I think, Scott, the key that you're saying, too, is, I mean, it's just an additional part of the guaranteed money that would be available to him to that. And, look, I mean, when you look at the escalators or what um, that is, I mean, wow. I mean, it's essentially he would have to be, like you said, 300 pounds. So, essentially, you're giving up on yourself in your career. And you can't hurt. blame the organization yeah. for nothing doing that as well you want an extra 100k i mean you essentially just have to be a professional athlete and that means doing all the things that it takes to be a professional like athlete. he got a he got a personal I mean, chef i'm sure that i'm sure that's helping and look and i also do think and again by no means am i excusing any of this because i do think like i said both sides could have been better but at the same time you got to take some personal responsibility on your own and you know you go back to what kendrick perkins said during that week that C.J. McCollum first became a Pelican, where he talked about, hey, man, that guy was eating two pizzas during draft, during combine week. So, look, I, I think it, it boils down to this. He hasn't really had a full offseason in camp where he's been healthy or in shape since he's been in the league. Um you know, call it and blame it the circuit. And again, blame his representation. You know, I mean, you're going to be the number one overall pick. So, you know, you're doing all the, 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 you're doing the tour circuit, right? You're doing the talk shows, you're doing this, you're doing that. You're not working out. You didn't work out at the combine. So he came into Pelican's camp, or really that April, if you remember after the draft, out of shape, which was crazy because, you know, I always reference your Twitter banner profile picture where, you know, it shows him meeting Drew Brees for the first time, and he was overweight then, but he looked, you know, like a X-Men Marvel character compared to what he was recently. So if he can get back to close to what Duke looked like, I, I think he's going to be really good because I've said it before, and you heard a lot of people talk about in the last couple of weeks too, that defensively, I mean, I'm – what was it, um, Ryan Windhorst about two weeks ago when the whole Kevin Durant thing and everything was kind of, you know, peaking a bit, he touched on the fact that he thinks Zion's going to be really good on the defensive end, and this team is built on defense. This team has a ton of players that want to play defense, and if you have a guy that, again, is in shape, can run, can move, can get to that corner to block the three, can do all those different aspects of it, well then, you know, that's a big thing, and I think that's something that you haven't seen. And until you see that, um, you know, people are going to question it. But, again, if he's in shape, he takes care of his body, I, I think, again, everything is going to be there. And I just, you know, the injury thing, it, it hampers. Some people 
stay in shape, can stay in shape, and be in shape while they're rehabbing others, especially when it comes to, you know, lower leg injuries like he's had, is probably tougher for him to do it. I mean, playoff Lenny is celebrating the fact he's 244 down from 260 and will get down to his playing weight, you know, Leonard Fournette. I mean, he himself says, I have a hard time, you know, staying in shape during the offseason. And for some reason, I, I balloon up. So, I mean, you got a guy that says that, you know. Um, and so he's not alone. But I, I think, like I said, I, I look at that contract. It is what it is, man. Same thing with McCollum. You have going rates for what it is to secure and, and, and hopefully see the expectation and projection of these players. And that's why you're signing these deals. It's why Juan Soto and baseball, Scott, Turned down four hundred and forty-four million dollars. Okay, you know, so it's 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 crazy, crazy, crazy indeed. Gus Cagnell, our guest. All right, stay tuned. Great Scott show continuing. Reminder: Brad Topham coming up at eight. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball uh, around eight thirty this morning. Some interviews I did yesterday with some Rage Cajun football players. More on that coming up. But we'll take a quick timeout when we come back. Going to talk Saints football with Gus Cagnell. And a little bit, you know, from a story a few days ago, the Dolphins' discipline and the fact that Brady wasn't and Tyron Matthew being back and Alvin Kamara and a lot to get into. Saints training camp happening. It's the Give Me All You Got Friday on the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We're right back right after this. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. And give me all you got Friday. Gus Cagnell with us talking some Saints football now. Training camp. Tyron Matthew back on the field Wednesday. And Saints fans uh, kind of all breathe a sigh of relief there a little bit. And uh, Gus, I was I was talking to John Hendricks earlier this week. And um, when it comes to scouting, um, look, the 2020 draft, eh, at this point, I wouldn't say that it was great. I mean, you know, Cesar Ruiz, Zach Bond, Adam Troutman, but let's be real. I mean, a lot of the scouting has been very good since Jeff Ireland arrived, but in particular, in the secondary, I get that Matthew, I get that Marcus May were free agent signings, but when you, Gus, like everyone else in New Orleans covering this team, says that Paulson Adebo is having the best camp of everybody. When you have a Marshawn Lattimore, when you have a C.J. Gardner-Johnson, you know, a journeyman like P.J. Williams, who was drafted with the previous regime, but, you know, when he's the sixth, seventh guy in the secondary that can do some multiple things, like the biggest difference between the Saints now 
and the Saints eight years ago is the secondary, which is crazy because eight years ago we would have said Drew Brees will be retired at that point. Now, I'm not saying that Jameis Winston is, is like Drew Brees. He's not. I mean, there is a gap there. But the gap between this current secondary and what it was prior to the Jeff Ireland regime is so wide and massive. I mean, the Saints secondary is arguably, I, I would say, the deepest and, and best unit on the entire roster. And <laughs> wasn't that long ago that Brandon Browner and and, 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 and Webb and you know, B.W. Webb and Brian Dixon, and we could go on. I mean, that was that was what you were working with in the secondary. And now you look at the secondary, and you got a head coach that has excelled at utilizing uh, players in the secondary. And it went from, you know, not that long ago being the, the, the biggest disaster on the team to the biggest strength. You do know I'm on vacation, right? Like, why are you trying to upset my stomach and bring up Brandon Browner, Eli Apple? You remember this team? traded for Eli Apple to save its season. And they needed him at the time. I mean, Ken Crowley was starting, they but... They needed him. Yes. Yes. Um, no, look, I, I can't disagree with you. I I think potentially the receiving group is going to make a run at that statement, but right now, as it stands, just the August, uh, I don't even think it's a Question. I, I had this conversation with Ross Jackson, locked on Saints, at practice Tuesday, and brought it up on our show that if Marshawn Lattimore and Paulson Adebo had to go tie their shoe, had a equipment malfunction, Bradley Roby and Monte Taylor, I think, are more than capable of covering a receiver, and. C.D. Deuce hadn't found a receiver and didn't think he could cover. So, your backups to your starters, and you have a lot of options. And I think it's one thing that sometimes we don't think about, Scott. We we are accustomed and understand rotations to keep legs fresh on the defensive line. A lot of times now with the packages that you have in football, you don't see that with linebackers, obviously, things like that. But I wonder if you're not going to see the Saints, you know, get snaps for Taylor, get snaps for Roby, which you saw last year, even though Adebo started. Um, Look, it's a 17-game season. It's a physical game. This team, the first two weeks, one of the, you know, themes is how physical they are. I mean, we choked during the one-on-one, and basically that's why Dennis Allen was even asked about it on Tuesday. How many pass interference calls will Paulson and Debo get? I'm going to get into him in a little bit because he's been unbelievable. Um, But they're trying to establish a physical style of ball. And like some of the great defenses, I think if you establish that, you let the officials know that, you say that as a coach, you say we are going to be physical one, then you can be the type of teams that Demario Davis said earlier in the week that they that he thinks they can be. He doesn't just think they can be the number one defense in the league. They were number four last year, and I would argue they're going to be better this year. I think they got more depth on the line Taco Charlton, I don't need him to be a start and people wanted him to be out of college. I need him to play a couple of snaps. Um, you know, Contavious Street, that's some nice depth 
already there. We still haven't seen Davenport. Peyton Turner had a great start in the camp. Missed a little bit with some injury, but I still think that guy is going to be a really good player. Anyamata's not missing any time on suspension. Like, the D line's going to be sick. And I think essentially the linebackers tackle the guys that the guys up front don't get, and the pressure that the front four is going to give you is going to make defensive backs that, I'm telling you, they're white on rice, dude. I mean, they are they're always on the hip talking to these receivers. And I think it's not even just the talent. Scott, I think the thing that they've really gone after in the secondary is players that are smart and athletic. And I go to what Traquan Smith said earlier in the week about specifically Paulson Adebo as something that really stood out to me. And he mentioned that he could see and tell as he was running the play and being covered that it's starting to click on a different level for Debo. Specifically, he was eliminating routes as he was running his route, understanding that he's 10 yards deep now. He's not going to run a slant. Now he's 12 yards. He's not doing a cutback. So, and then he said he's starting to feel Debo get closer to him because he figured it was only going to be one of two routes. And it's little things like that that I love hearing because I think it really allows fans to get the insight as to the, what, what these players are actually thinking during that. They're not just running out there trying to cover somebody. When you're hearing a second-year player eliminating routes as he's covering, that's, that's next level, dude. And I love DeMario Davis saying, we want to be the Steel Curtain. We want to be like that Ravens defense. We want to be the 85 Bears. We want to be you know, the Legion of Boom, they, they want to create a legacy and be called not just the number one defense in the league, one of the best to have ever played. And I, I think that's tremendous. And he brought it up. you got a top five player likely or somebody that thinks is a top five player at every position group he thinks on this team. So he's like, it's about the hard work. It's about getting everybody to play together and go do it. So I, I think when you look at it all, man, pretty incredible to see what that secondary is going to be able to do this year and it's all going to be about communication and playing together they can scott i'm telling you they, that is as much as talented a, a secondary as i've seen because landry olave and thomas are good they're not jogging out there i promise you and they get their separation you can see it and the timing between Ian and winston and the other guys going to get better but it's just the technique and what you're seeing, and they're so physical and they're so aggressive that if you get any pass rush, man, you're going to see this team pick off some balls this year. I really do think so. Gus Cagliar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Our guest here, great Scott Show. Give me all you got Friday, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports, 1420 on the AM dial, 103.3 on the FM, streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. So something that stood out to me that Dennis Allen said about – the cornerbacks, he said, and I'm quoting him exactly here, part of having the corners we have is to be able to get up and press man, and then it's kind of body-on-body and man-on-man in those situations. That makes the offense have to execute a little bit crisper rather than play in a soft zone, and they get some open areas underneath. That's a little bit of why we play the way we do, end quote. He wants them to be physical as hell up at the line of scrimmage, and then 
then it's all about coverage after that, right? That that little bit of cushion that you're going to get, make them feel it, make them feel it, and then go from there. And I think Chris Richard, the, the secondary coach, you know, uh, like I think he said, we utilize the indicators to our advantage. If we get certain looks, types of routes are coming, we're going to try to make sure we stop it. What you were talking about a minute ago in regards to Pulse and Debo and how things are starting to click, it's just uh, – I don't know that historically the Saints have ever had uh, a great secondary. Now, they've had some years where the secondary has been good. Uh, the Super Bowl season, Jabari Greer was very good. Uh, Tracy Porter was good. And, and Roman Harper and Darren Sharper were pro bowlers that year. So they've, they've had some years where they've had some here, there. But they've had plenty, right? I mean, even back in the Dome Patrol days, it was there were times where it was like, uh, you know what? Maxi and Toy Cook and Robert Massey and, and Gene Ak- Atkins was good, but it was kind of like, man, they could be a little better. They're playing with the Dome Patrol. I, I just, I, I, it ha- the fact that it has the potential to be the best secondary in team history is a benefit. Now, I don't want to be all, you know me, Gus. I mean, I, I can't just be all peaches and cream. What unit on the team? is in your mind right now here on August the 5th, the most concerning for the Saints right now? I think, Scott, I would probably say, even though if I had to prove, I mean, just based off of elimination, it's probably the linebackers. I mean, I know DeMario Davis is a stud. Um I know they like Werner. I think Werner's a solid linebacker, but is he? Can you know if, if the Mario Davis isn't playing, is there another star? Right. That yeah, can... Warner, Caden Ellis. I mean, if something were to happen to Davis, it feels like yeah. it would be a disaster. I, mean, look, I, I saw, you know, Tuesday at practice was the Mario Davis's veteran day off, so it was Caden Ellis. Um, and Pete Warner didn't do team drills. It was Ellis and I think Andrew Dowell was, was part of it as well. And bottom line is, it was a pedestrian linebacking unit. I'm not being disrespectful, but it's not your starters. And again, <laughs> there, there weren't very many completions. So it's the strength of that D line putting the pressure. The ball had to get out. James Winston's rolling right, things of that nature. But again, the thing is. So the completions that he did have were over the middle, and that was the linebacker being covered. So I would say that that is a unit that I am concerned about in terms of depth. I'm not saying that they're not capable of making a play or a tackle and stuff, but star quality, star player sort of thing, I still think that's an area, man, if you can upgrade eventually to, to have a guy. Again, it's why a lot of Saints fans love Juan Alexander, because of athleticism. I, I just don't think you can replace athleticism and and ability to make plays. So I know there's a lot of confidence in Werner. I know there's a lot of confidence on what he can do in helping Demario Davis. Um, but, yeah, I would say that. And if there's a concern, it's more of a – I'm curious to see the communication aspect of it because last weekend the big bomb to Chris Olave was a, you know, a coverage breakdown where B.J. Williams and whoever, I think it might have been Lattimore, is what Sean Fazan eventually determined was the coverage breakdown. But I also think you're going to see a lot of that against offense, Scott, because it's kind of, kind of it's two ways to look at it. You can say 
the communication at safety is something I'm going to keep an eye on, especially with Tyron Matthew just getting to camp. Now, he's a vet. He knows how to play defense. It's like we're going to have, you know, overcomplicated calls and things of that nature. So I think they'll figure it out with me, Marcus May. But you need time on task and you need snaps. But I think what you're going to see is teams have to pick and they have to choose. And if James can read a defense and learn to, you know, put a little touch on these fastballs that he's throwing, I don't know how you stop the Saints offense. I really honestly don't. I mean, you're going to have to choose. Somebody's going to be one-on-one. And I'm telling you, ain't nobody in this league that's not a number one corner going to lock down 12. Chris Olave is going to be sick this year. Jarvis Landry just can get open. He's that big targeting. Reminds me of Colston, Eric Barton from back in the day. Not very tall and, and lanky. Just a thick, going to position himself and get open and not drop anything, man. And, and Michael Thomas, I made the comment this week, I, I think he, he looks as fast as I've ever seen. And, and like, before it was, you know, he, he, he was good, he just didn't have that speed. I think he got faster. And a lot of the reason is the, the graph was sitting next to me on Monday, and he says he looks leaner. And he is. He is thinner. So he's lighter. So, you know, not to go into civics, or not civics, physics, a lighter body should be able to move faster. So I, I think that's the thing you're going to see, though. I think you're going to see a lot of communication breakdown because, you know, Todd and I were talking about it last Saturday during one of these practices where the fans are out there. You know it's an afterthought at all of this? It's been Alvin Kamara. Like, no one's talking about him. A guy that can score six touchdowns a game. No one's talking about him. Well, the they're last, talking about they're talking about his court date, but, you know. Right, exactly. Well, in the last two years, you've had – you know, Drew Brees' arm has hindered his ability because people can play tighter to the line of scrimmage. And you had a horrible receiving core last year. So I would have fired my defensive coordinator if the game plan on Monday is that everybody is going to 41. Like, I don't respect the, sec, you know, the receiving core at all. You can't do that this year. You, you, the linebackers in the safeties have to keep an eye on 80, on 12, on 13. Troutman's catching the ball. When Hill comes back, you got to pay attention to the tight end. Oh, by the way, there's 41 in the back backfield. I mean, and you put him one-on-one with the linebacker, you're going to see big plays from Kamara this year. The space in the field is going to be cleared so much more because you have receivers like a separation. You're going to have so many other opportunities that you're that you know he hasn't like against Tampa, you know Levante David and Kevin White and, and Devin White can't you know just at the snap of the ball run where Kamara is because if they do, they're going to get beat for a touchdown on a deep cross. It's that simple. It, just that little bit of as the play is unfolding, to to the, the ability to keep a guy like Devin White thinking is huge. And last year, and I'm telling you, the year before that, that guy ain't thinking. That guy's like, where are we going? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, to, to make all that happen, you're going to have to get good production from your offensive line. Ramchek's going to do it. McCoy's going to do it. Pete and Ruiz, we'll see. Hurst, okay, but he's not the long-term um, answer there, at least not by what the team's hoping. They're hoping that's Trevor Penning. I call him Big Nasty. Is there going to be a day of training camp he doesn't get into some kind of scuffle? I mean, this dude, 
he's listen uh trial by fire i know they're kind of throwing him out there and and he's he's struggling to adjust at times but man i mean if you want to tick off your teammates i get it's not supposed to be hunky dory in training camp but he's definitely living up to the reputation thus far as uh as far as you know maybe getting a little nasty after the whistle and we're just we're just in training camp right now yeah look I, and i think it's funny he's had a lot of fans kind of say hey kind of reminds them of turley and things of that nature I, I like it i think the other thing i noticed this week at practice was um the veterans know that and and it's kind of trial by fire. They're, they're purposely going in there. So you, you see guys like JT Gray, you know, afterwards shove them, trying to see what is limited. And I think the coaching staff, I go back to some of those, you know, hard knock episodes. Remember when Rex Ryan was the coach and he told a, a player, go in there and start a fight. Go start a fight I, with I'm Vernon Golson. It didn't really do anything. Golson still I'm, wasn't good, but yeah, he, he wanted Ver, He wanted just to see if Vernon would fight. That's what they're doing, yeah, per se. Do that for Penny. But I guarantee you, an opposing team's defensive line coach is going to say, you can get 15 yards off this guy. You know? I mean, CD Deuce stuck it for the Saints. So I think they're trying to kind of baptize them here of what's going to happen and see what that limit is. And, you know, and that way when he reacts, Doug Marone goes, hey, you can't do that. I mean, on Tuesday's practice, he got into it with, you know, Patchen and, um, he started and they pulled him out. He had to do push-ups, and then he got back in. So I think I love what I'm seeing in that you have Strees, you have Jari Evans, who's now an intern coach, and then you have Doug Marone. I think you have three very good heads on their shoulders to mentor and get this guy ready for that next level. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's trial by fire. You don't You don't need to goat the guy into fighting. He'll do it. It's just a matter of like you said, uh, test the limit, right? And, you know, he's still raw and, and he's got a ways to go, but he's definitely one of those uh, training camp storylines. All right, uh, let's wrap it up, Gus. Last thing, Dolphins discipline earlier this week. Um, you know, uh, lost a first rounder, a third rounder. I know they have other picks they got from other teams, but uh, they the owner got a fine, all this stuff. I think... One takeaway was, wait a minute, you know, it's one thing to call a, a coach's agent in January, but to have a player on a yacht while they're still under contract with another team go after him twice, like Tom Brady getting no suspension at all, the owner getting a little bit, the NFL saying, oh, as far as the tanking thing goes, he was just joking. I mean, was there, it was, it, th- that whole thing was just full in, it was, it was, not surprising at all, but very problematic, depending on how you look at it, right? And then we'll let you run. There's an emoji for it, isn't there? <laughs> the, the brown emoji. Um, dude, I, the NFL has an integrity problem. The fact that they did that in their statement to the Dolphins for violating the integrity of the game is a joke. Because they themselves are doing it. And if you remember, Scott, on our show, we talked about it uh, when you come on Wednesdays and brought it up on yours as well during the Daniel Snyder thing. You know, when that story came out and he refuses to show up to, you know, Congress and the data Goodell testified and all that came out about him digging up all that dirt on. NFL people that were doing the investigations on NFL personnel on 
reporters. I mean, that's the kind of stuff, Scott, I want to say you could probably get in trouble criminally. You know, I mean, going overseas to have another judge be able to subpoena or or approve the fact that I can look at phone records. I mean, I I don't think fans understand that or paid attention because it had nothing to do with the Saints. But Daniel Snyder was finding ways and got a hold of reporters that covered his football team's phone records. So he could go through text messages to try to find dirt to blackmail these reporters that were covering his football team. And this guy still owns a football team. And it's, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And he's being looked at, and mind you, the league investigated the allegations of sexual misconduct and cameras in the Redskins cheerleader locker rooms and all of that. And then the NFL found nothing. They found nothing, Scott. Not a fine, not, not a nothing. Not a, not, we didn't see anything in all those emails that they got. The emails that got John Gruden fired. Not excusing what he said, but that's why he got fired. In the communication of the emails, the league found out somebody leaked it. So he ticked off somebody. They saw it. They leaked it. But it was that set of emails that John Gruden got found. Well, they got rid of those emails. They never released it. And that's what triggered Congress to look into them because they went, wait a minute. You investigated all of that and you said you found nothing and you got rid of everything? That's why Congress is looking into it. It might be some fans going, why are they even bothering? It's because of this. So you have a league that burned the tape when it came to the Patriots. You have a league that had to appear like they were doing something to limit football players from serious head injuries. So they came down on the Saints. Sean Payton's criminal words in their mind. Get your ducks in a row. Those words got him suspended for a year, plus a fine, plus the Saints general manager being, you know, Mickey Loomis being suspended for half a season, the team being fined a million dollars. All of that based off of ducks in a row. And you're going to tell me an owner says, you know, our draft position is better if we we lose Here's $100,000 if you lose the game this week. Owners are always joking about that kind of stuff with their coaches, yeah. you know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Here's the other thing. You're telling me that in the most egregious thing you've ever seen, blatant tampering, they, they're going to use some sort of morality now and say, no, nah, I didn't mean that when I said I'd, you know, I'd pay you to lose games. I mean, come on, man. But it boils down to this, The NFL can't admit it. No, no, they they, they could never admit something like that. And there's a reason that they released they released all of that. You you, think it all was going to be like, wait a minute, I'm paying. Listen, expect you guys trying to win and you're purposely losing. Right. The tampering aspect of Tom Brady and Sean Payton was a different investigation than the stuff that Brian Flores brought to light. Right, the 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 accusations there, which the NFL said, well, it actually happened. He did say these things, but he didn't mean it. But the reason you you let all that out in a single report is because then the headlines more about the punishment. Tom Brady, who by the way gets no punishment at all, as if as if it, as if the Dolphins were just tampering with themselves. But like it's that becomes more of the talking point. And then this other stuff doesn't. If they had only released 
each one separately and the findings of it, it's not all lumped together. And it's like, wait a minute, they just released a thing saying, yeah, the owner said this to the former coach, but he was just joking around. No, they do it all at once. There's always a reason to it. There's always PR. Look more into it. Gus, we got to let you run, man. You're on your way to the beach with the family. Have a great vacation. And uh, as always, man, really, really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Not a problem. Say bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Have fun at the beach. (laughs) Thanks, brother. Good stuff from Gus Cottingale. When we come back, little Seamhead segment, little Major League Baseball talk. Brad Topham joins me. We'll get into contenders versus pretenders. I'll hand them out, you know, some list of teams, contender, pretender, because I feel like there are a lot of contenders this year. Later on in the show, Rage Cajun football player interviews that I had yesterday. Uh, We'll play some of that for you. You'll hear some more next week as well. And uh, some open phone lines later as well. 337-269-1077. It is a Give Me All You Got Friday on the Great Scott Show. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Don't go anywhere. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour on a Friday on the Great Scott Show. As promised, how about a seam head segment? That's right. We're going to do that right now after we listen to this highlight from last night's action. In the air right field, moving back Palacios to the track. To the wall, it's gone. Five plus fastball righties, up and in, boom. Just he's guessing there. I'm not even saying he's guessing there because he's he, he doesn't swing often. Yeah, well, that was that was fun. Mets win. Just wanted to get that out there as we bring on our friend Brad Topham, baseball analyst, color analyst for UL baseball. Man knows the sport. He played, he's coached, he calls action, and uh, he is on the airways with us now. Good morning, Brad. How you feeling? I feel great. I really couldn't understand that call. Uh, my ring's so big from last year from Green World Champion. It's hard to hear those weird calls. But uh, yeah, how, does a, how, what, how does one acquire a ring when they're just a fan, and how does a ring impact your hearing? Well, when when you always you're so used to hearing world champion until someone beats you, you don't really mind. You don't really hear all the nonsense like the little flies. You know, you hit a little home run here, hit a little home run there. Eh, you don't worry about it because right. you know you can get it done when it counts. 
mm-hmm. truth and concept, my friend. 6-4 uh, Mets over the Braves. And um, I, I, I just, I didn't even play a clip from, from last from last night's game. I just, I figured let's, I know. you know, let's, let's just. It's okay. I, I didn't even want to go. I didn't, I just okay. I figured I'd start out nice here. Um, you know, all, all jokes aside, uh, I like, you know, I like, I don't like. I, I think what the Braves did at the trade deadline was very good. Um, I thought the Mavs, the Mets really should have added a middle reliever, but I, what I want to do with you in this Seamhead segment, Brad, is now here we are, August the 5th. I want to separate contenders from pretenders because while there are some teams that are really good, you know, Yankees, Astros, I mean, the Dodgers are strong, the Braves and Mets are good, but they're like, because of the nature of the playoffs and because of, you know, what everyone did at the trade deadline, like the, you know, like the, like, like the Padres, for instance, it just, it feels like to me, and maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment, that this year more teams are just going for it. You know, you, you see moves at the trade deadline, and look, sometimes a team improves themselves, you know, to, to make a run this year, and it's a good move for the future. But, you know, you can get a pretty good feel of the trade deadline of how serious this team is about trying to win it this year. And it seems like this year there's there's more than others because when you get in the postseason and you've got, you know, oh, man, this is a fun team. No one expected them to be here. It's very different than, man, this team just did a whole lot and made this trade and did that and traded away prospects just to have a shot here. It It, it adds the pressure in a weird way. It makes it, you know, more anxiety driven i guess for the fans yeah i think the um the the chasm between the have and the have nots shrunk a lot you have more teams that are haves this year and it feels like which is a good thing there's a lot of teams that are going for it without breaking the bank you know for me this is a quick example the washington nationals went for it two years in a row, trading away all their best prospects for bullpen help, and they got it. Great, and they won it. You don't sign Rendon, and you let Scherzer go last year. But they were terrible last year. So for me, I don't feel like anybody broke the bank without a future. You know, and I bring I say it like that is because of obviously the Padre trade. So I feel like a lot of teams are going for it. You have less of the haves less of the have-nots than you normally do. And it's better for the game because I don't think anybody just destroyed their future to win today. I mean, uh, Juan Soto, you think he is in San Diego long-term? I think the Hispanic population on the West Coast is pretty big. I think the Padres' Padres owner reminds me of Illich in Detroit. He's going to keep building, and he wants to win. And I think the Dodgers have a lot to do with it. It's, it's starting to feel like an ego thing. I'm, we're going to prove we can compete with the Dodgers. Um, and you know what? You put Soto with next to a Tatis with Machado. You have three Latin players. Two of them are from one generation, one from another. And you also have a right-left combination. So you lock up your two, three, four long term. Yeah, I see Soto staying because the Dodgers have too many big contracts, and so do the Yankees. I don't think he chases the money as much because if it's just about money, he stays in Washington. You know, I think he stays on the West Coast, and I, I think 
you you create a core in San Diego that lasts for a while. I, I think San Diego. I don't. Are they going to spend that kind of money on multiple players? Because they're not the Yankees or Dodgers, as you put it. I mean, either way, I like the move, right? If anything, all right, we'll go to arbitration, and, and we can run it back next year, and then maybe we go to arbitration again, and then maybe then we would trade him at the deadline if he doesn't want to accept right. you know, what offer we have. So they have, they have some wiggle room here, and um, you know, they, did, they did give up quite a haul to get him. But when you're a team like San Diego, I, I, I will always respect the team that goes for it. I mean, it sucks when it doesn't work out, but like that's what you that's what you want. If you're a fan of a team, like what are, what are we doing here? What are we playing for? Um, and and you know when when you win that championship, it's great. You know, I mean, it wasn't it, was it six years ago? The Royals won it all. They've been one of the worst teams in baseball for years, but. I bet you if you went back, none of those – if you could tell a Royals fan, hey, you want that championship or you want to be in the mix to maybe get one of the last wild card spots in this expanded postseason this year, we all know what they're going to say, Brad. I mean, you, you sure. try to get the ring. And I'm looking at a number of teams here, and let's, let's just start in the AL. Now, right out the bat, Yankees, Astros, we know contenders, right? You're not going to uh, – I know you well enough, no. and you're a smart enough guy. You're not going to try no. to make the argument that either is a pretender. Um, the question is, in the American League, what about after that? So, honestly, here's my thing. The, the team offensively that can play with both of them that you cannot forget about is the um, Tampa Bay. Not Tampa Bay, I'm sorry. The, um, Toronto. Toronto's got the lineup to go toe-to-toe. They made some moves. It took them a while to get going. It's They can go toe-to-toe. Toronto is not a pretender, and they are going nowhere. The other side to it is the um, what is Seattle? I don't know if they're a pretender or not. And isn't it sad? If I'm watching Seattle this year, Scott, I'm saying yes. But how do you take the last 10 years of Seattle out of your brain? And I, I just can't. Um, they're a contender. I don't know if you've checked the standings. Do you know if I gave you all the money in the world and told you what is Baltimore's record? I don't they're, think you've ever I, guessed three I, games. I, no, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I only know because I was surprised when they made the trade and without saying it. What are they? Fifty-four and fifty-one. They came out yeah. when they made the trade and basically said. And not this exact phrasing, but, you know, we kind of crunched the numbers and uh, we're not going to win it all this year. So, hey, what, whereas their fans are like, what the heck? We, we, you know, we're feeling like the movie Major League here. Ragtag, you know, all these guys not playing that great, starting the season off awful. Then we just go on these long win streaks. And um, I don't know, man. I, 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 part of me wishes Baltimore would have just made a move to try to, you know, go far this year because they're a pretty fun team to watch. Yes, yet the crazy thing is they make the trade on Monday the 1st, and all they do is they go out and they take two games on the road from the Rangers. They had a loss, you know? yeah. So, no. Now, but they're, um, they're, they're a good story. Uh, that, that's a whole other conversation of dealing with that, 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 whole, um, that whole division is such a monster. But it's not, you want to see relevancy, and that's what I'm talking about with the have-nots. I mean, seriously, I don't care what Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, the Cubs, Baseball's bad when the Cubs aren't good. That's not good for baseball. Um, isn't it funny, though, the central division in both leagues is like, meh. And if you ask the average person who's the best team, people normally say 
St. Louis just because of tradition. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it, it's, but I'm overlooking both of, both divisions. You talk about the, the, the pretenders and contenders. To me, the central division, and you trade away Josh Hader. I get why you trade Josh Hader away uh, the Padres. I get it. But it doesn't matter. You just trade away Josh Hader. I'm sorry. The central division on both ends, they're pretenders. I, I look at the Twins, and I was talking about this earlier this week. They've, I, I was, I was I actually misspoke. I was saying they had lost 15 playoff games in a row. I was wrong. I'm sorry. It's actually 18. They've lost 18 wow. postseason games in a row. It is the longest playoff losing streak in you know any team in the NBA, MLB, NHL, and NFL, so North American professional sports, uh, you know, the four major leagues. That's eight, that is hard to do. Really hard to do, and I know they're they're at the top of the central now, uh, you know, by maybe a half game over Cleveland. But they make some moves at the deadline. I'm like, poor Minnesota. We all know where this is going. They're going to get into the postseason, and they're probably going to make it, you know, 21 in a row or or 19 in a row or something like that. You know, if they win the division, I'm I'm looking at just looking at three and done. I, I mean, uh, it, it, everyone expected the White Sox to do something in there. Uh, they've been a heavy disappointment this year. They could still win the division and get in, but I'm not expecting an Ole Miss Rebels-type run when your manager is uh, no. 108 and falling asleep in the dugout. No, I'm not. And the crazy part, Baltimore would be one game. Baltimore's playing in a division that's going to pull two or three wild cards, and Baltimore would be a game out of first place yeah. in the Central. Yep, yep. So playing a harder schedule. Shoot, Boston, Boston the last-place team in the East would win the Central, you know, probably. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Ah, Brad, top of but, my guess. Yeah, they're, um, it's toward, going to your question, too, I think when, if you want to really look at it, and one of the LSU names, um, Gosman is still pitching well. Gosman's with Toronto now. They had also traded for uh, Manoa last year. I think the Blue Jays, I'm telling you, that's going to be a very tough matchup for anybody. Now, granted, it's Astros-Yankees. You want to talk about MLB? I mean, what MLB wants? Oh, yeah. They want Astros Yankees. Because you know what? If Astros are on and my Braves are playing, I might put the Braves on the iPad and put the Astros and Yankees on the big screen because of the drama. Because I think it's cause it's going to be that good of a series. But Toronto, to me, is the scary team in the American League. All right. So the contenders, Yankees, Astros, Blue Jays, dark horse contender in a way. Brad needs to see a little more out of Seattle. Tampa, yeah. Minnesota, Cleveland, yeah. Baltimore, Chicago—all those teams, even Boston—they're not. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think no. they're going to be in the playoffs. Hey, and to be fair, I don't think they're going to be in the playoffs. I am but I—they're I, one, one of those teams that if they still, you know, had a little run, they could do it. But they're playing so terrible right now. And yeah, um, I'm not worried about Boston. And I, I sell too quickly on Tampa Bay. I'll, full disclosure, but I still—I'm never betting on Tampa Bay. I just don't believe in their style long term, and I just wait for it to fold. So yeah, I, I think the East, the American League is two teams. Plus, maybe, and Tampa Bay, Toronto could upset somebody. In the National League, you got those Dodgers. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of money. Rest in peace, Vince Scully. Uh, a lot of pop. A lot of arm. Where, where is, uh, is there a hole on the Dodgers roster? Well, before we go there, let me, let me share a quick story of the Vince Scully thing. It's sad, but it's not sad for me. Um, so tomorrow, it'll be two weeks we leave my dad to rest. Thought dementia is terrible, but Vin Scully, believe it or not, it is it has has a memory for me that the older I've gotten, because become more cherished. You know, we all have those moments. Sometimes they're tragic. Sometimes they're great. 
you know, from my parents' generation, it was where were you when you heard about Kennedy? You know, the tragic in my life was probably where I was when the space shuttle blew up. I remember exactly. But Vin Scully has a memory for me and my dad that will live on forever. The Kurt Gibson home run. Whenever I hear that call, I am instantly transported in my mind to being in a truck. on the. If you've ever driven the back road from Baton Rouge to Morgan City, you got to go through Pierreport and White Castle and all these back roads. And I remember we could pick up an AM station, hear the World Series call of Vin Scully. And that home run, I was in the truck coming home from an LSU game. You know, that was my that was my big thing. That that so that that was a uh, Vince Scully's going to carry memory with my dad for me forever. Let's listen. But the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a An iconic moment in Major League history right there. That's it. And that, like I said, it'll always carry, so I'm always appreciative. And I'm sure there's a lot of people my age group in their 50s, you know, 60s, that can pinpoint something. I mean, I know we did some historic stuff, but that was big. But back to your question, I, honestly, the Dodgers are still the class to me um, because of I think they have, whether anybody likes to talk about it, starting pitching, their offense, I don't find their offense is going to be any better than the Mets or the Braves, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think the Mets did something for once correct to add pieces. You maybe not have got all the pieces that you had mentioned earlier about a reliever, but I like what they did. Last night, the, and this is, I'm bringing up the Mets to go to the Dodgers. Last night, they started four lefties in a row. By the way, really love your offensive tackle, DH, Vogelbach, that dude. Seriously, he's the first back to back jacks, that. man. That's yeah, yeah. Some That's call it. him a fullback. I think you say he's more of a guard build. Dude, <laughs> I ain't talking back, about basketball he, guard. No, he, he's a ham sandwich away from three bills. But I like what they did. He started four lefties because the Braves threw a righty. And one of the comments from the Braves announcer was, "Hey, this matchup maybe works late in the game." And Jeff Francoeur, knowing the game, goes, "Yeah, but the only downside is he can then counter with Canna." And he started going through a few different names. The point is, you, the Mets created opportunities for advantages, whereas the Dodgers have great players. To win a World Series, the Braves proved it last year. Eddie Rosario was hitting 180. He was the NLCS MVP. Soler is hitting 190 right now with Miami. He was the World Series MVP. But you got him hot as good pieces. And I think the Mets, and I'm telling you now, We'll know more in nine days because of the schedule. But I'm telling you, the one thing I appreciate about the Mets that I think gives them a chance against the Dodgers, the Mets are playing probably better against the Braves than they are against anybody. And that hasn't been the case in recent years. So I don't think the Dodgers will scare the Mets. You know they don't scare the Braves. The Braves beat them last year. But I don't think the Dodgers will scare the Mets at all. You know, so I think truly, I, I, I think it's, the Braves are the Mets against the Dodgers in the NLCS. I really do. So those are your three contenders. Not San Diego? 
Yes, yeah, so I don't. So here's my only catch: How can when Tatis comes back? Remember, this is a dude that did not have surgery on a loose shoulder. And my God, Cajun fans know if you remember Brock uh, Drake Osborne catching random things and his shoulder would pop out. You know, actually he's he's out for the year in minor league baseball. He's getting his shoulder fixed because it's loose. Tatis never had it surgically repaired. That scares me. He's coming back from a broke wrist. If Tatis comes back and plays well, they're good. Dude, Ronald Acuna hit his first home run in a month last night. He's hitting 250. Acuna is barely a year out of ACL surgery. I don't know if he comes back all the way this year. I think next year he has a huge year. Same thing with um, Tatis. I'll believe the Padres when I see if Tatis, if Tatis comes back healthy and looks like the player he was when he left. Dude, Padres are scary. They are. But then they're a contender. And by the way, they added Hayter. God, that dude's disgusting. Outside of Freddie Freeman, nobody hit that dude as a lefty. So that dude is disgusting. But I'm going to tell you, I would love because the Dodgers have won the division. It's over. But I would love to see San Diego and the Dodgers in the playoffs. You want to talk about a playoff series? That would actually – the TV might not like it because it would be West Coast, East Coast. But could you imagine basically a semifinal of the Braves and the Mets and the Dodgers and the Padres? That's to me. Uh, that should that that's, should be that's it. where that's and what it should move. be. That's what it should be. Yeah, you know, with respect. But no, the to Padres. The I'll, I'll tell you, Scott Hater, dude. Uh, just just from when he plays the Braves, I'd, I'd see him close. I will stick around and watch a game the Braves are losing if I have something to do. I'll, if I'm listening to it outside, I will go inside and watch TV. If Josh Hader comes on the mound, that that skinny long hair dude. I mean, don't get me wrong. He looks like he's dealing meth in the back alley. But, my God, he can pitch. And he's just fun to watch. Brad Topham has been our guest. Um, How much of this, like, let's look at the Mets, for instance. They get DeGrom back. Of course, they very uh, aptly decide to not give him any offense. But that was a big talking point, right? Trade deadline. Um, you know, you got some problems offensively, a catcher. You could add a reliever. Well, you get Grom's coming back. So that's really the biggest move because he's the best pitcher in baseball and healthy. Right. Well, of the of the contenders that you've named and you've given us seven, what who is the single most important player on any of the teams where if, if they lose that guy, they quickly, immediately go to pretender? Um... Oof. Well, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge goes away. Yankees are done. I truly believe that. Wow. Um, Aaron Judge, because he's the key. Because he's going to give you offense. But the, the one thing that, listen, so the Yankees did something very intelligent. Finally. They quit, they quit going George Steinbrenner, and they went baseball. They got rid of sluggers like Gary Sanchez and got a really good defensive catcher. They've lost a shortstop who could hit. They got a really good defensive shortstop. So they improved on defense. They made themselves a more balanced team. However, they're home run dependent, like my Braves are. But Aaron Judge, he's what serves the drink. And they got the best record in the American League, right? Guess who hasn't been hurt all year? Aaron Judge. I mean, so for me, if Judge goes down, Yankees don't go. Judge goes down, Astro fans can get get ready for the World Series. Brad Topham has been our guest. Um, let's go Mets. Yeah, let's go home. Uh, <laughs> now, and listen, I'm giving you credit because 
I like what the Nets did. When I I heard the little pickup at the deadline, I was thinking to myself, crap. Because I do believe in a good team doesn't need – okay, put it this way. If the Nets said the Nets wouldn't got Soto, you know the concept in that locker room would have been our identity is different, right? We now have Soto. We have this. Your identity is different. You're already a good team. By going to get pieces, your identity stayed the same to me, and you became a more challenging matchup. And your manager, who is a good manager – now has options, and the opposing coach has to worry about it. So I think the Mets finally acted with some intelligence. I don't know if they'll keep acting like that because you got to own with big checkbook and wants to keep writing checks, but I think what they did was smart, and hopefully you know, you find a way to screw it up. Last thing, my friend. Yesterday marked 19 years whenever Nolan Ryan got seven hits on Robin Ventura, literally. Um <clears throat> Uh, you know, guys 20 years older than him, puts him in a headlock. It was an iconic moment. I remember, you know, watching it on SportsCenter, just like, wow, look, look at this old dude. I mean, he was, you know, in 93, he's doing a lot of Advil ads, and, you know, he was he was a, a playing legend. But that moment and, and all of the, the, you know, all the no-hitters he threw, all these things he did in his illustrious career – you ask somebody that, you know, was born in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, get name a Nolan Ryan moment, that's the first moment they're going to bring up. And yep. if if that ha- if if Twitter was around then, I think the whole app would have just exploded. <laughs> it would have been Oh my god. It, it's still like an iconic moment today and you you see the replay and the all blue backdrop behind home plate and Ventura decides I'm going to go. I mean for Ventura, one of the greatest college baseball players and and a guy that had a really good pro career, same thing. You ask somebody, "Hey, what do you what was first thing you think of? Do you think of Robin Ventura?" I I I can think I can think of one oh, yeah. thing in terms of like scrums in sports you might you could argue there are some more memorable because of the uh, unfortunate aftermath of it whether you know it it be someone getting hurt or or something like that you know luckily this wasn't one where anybody was like seriously injured and so it just immediately became this sports highlight that i think honestly it's it's gonna be around forever like it's a hundred years from now they're still gonna be playing that clip if Robin Ventura got elected to the, the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame, when ESPN was showing it, you know they would say, and who could ever forget? And I'm sure Robin Ventura, of all the decisions he's made in his life, Biggest regret. he'd probably take that one. Oh, my God. He'd like he, if he, if he says he doesn't regret it, he's lying through his teeth. To me, man, if I'm him, I'd be, doing, I'd be trying to make some money doing a commercial, you know, with Nolan Ryan. So if this ever happens, use Advil. You know, I'd make a joke out of it because it's one of the funniest things ever. He picked a fight with the wrong damn grandpa. And you know what's funny? You could have been young when it happened, and you're older now, and now you start going, yeah, that's what that young guy gets. That's right. You know, that's he right. Yeah. Young when it happened. <laughs> that's, that is the epitome of old man strength right there. That's it. That's it. Now, the, the, you know, the scrum, I, always, I, don't, I know it's not so much of a scrum, but it's the weirdest situation. I always thank God it was never me. Was Pedro Martinez and Don Zimmer? That was where he threw him to the yeah, ground. Yeah, it was terrible. But at the same time, what did you want him to do? There's a man charging me. I know he's 90, and if he, he punches me, it's like a, you know a, fly, a, a cloud of dust flying up from his hand. 
But what you want me to do? He's Zimmer looking like the main me. character in Up, and then afterwards he's, <laughs> you know, he's like crying his eyes out in the press conference, and they're all making Pedro out to be, you know, this terrible yeah. individual. And Pedro, he was just standing there, like, "Come on, like, come on, if you're coming, I'm not moving." And he just pushed yeah. him out of the way. It really, yeah. it only felt he him. It oh, only yeah. felt violent him. because Zimmer was, you know, 106. You and know? He tumbled 17 feet. Oh, yeah. He's like a soccer player. What? The, onto the ground. That's, yeah, that ain't old man. That's a different kind of. That's a, that's. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just. When I was 50, I could have taken him. I forgot I'm not 50. Yeah, you're not. You, you ain't Nolan Ryan, buddy. Sorry about that. No, you're uh, not. Uh, Brad Topham has been our guest. Brad, man, I, I appreciate you taking the time. It's always good to talk, talk with you and talk baseball with you. Um, Enjoy uh, losing the series uh, coming up here today and tomorrow, and uh, we'll uh, we'll chat again. We'll chat again soon, my friend. All right, my brother. Take care. Thank you. That is former host of the Tops Take, and uh, always love talking. That little CMED segment with Brad Topham. When we come back, yesterday I asked Coach Michael Desimo on this show, what question has he been asked more than any other? That, oh, but easy. The quarterback position. Who's going to start? And yesterday he said I, it, it, the most surprising thing to him in this Ben Woolrich Chandler Fields battle for the starting quarterback job at UL when they kick off the season in 29 days is the fact that it's still going on. The fact that the competition has continued, he thought somebody was going to make it pretty well known in the spring, and here we are. I talked to Chandler Fields, and I talked to Ben Walrich yesterday. Those conversations coming your way right after this on The Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in Hey, this is Rich Eisen, and you can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. Hey, sports fans, this is Rich Eisen reminding you to catch The Rich Eisen Show every weekday from 12 to 3 on ESPN Lafayette. Now, back to more of The Great Scott Show with Scott Prather. Scott Show. Give me all you got Friday. Quarterback competition for the starting job. Chandler Fields. Ben Woolrich. Now, Cajun fans have seen Chandler in um, a little bit, right? Haven't really seen Ben Woolrich in a game. Young man from California. Caught up with him yesterday. Caught up with both guys. Here are those interviews. First up, Ben Woolrich. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather, visiting now with Louisiana Raging Cajun quarterback Ben Woolrich, who born and raised in, in California, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, born and raised in California. What's what's the biggest difference between? I mean, look, depending on what part of California, it could mean a lot of different things. But what's the big difference from where you come from with 
Cajun country in Lafayette, Louisiana? Yeah, um, I think everything's, it's definitely a culture shock um, coming from California and then coming to Lafayette. Um, but I mean, my family's from here. Um, my grandparents live over in Slidell, Louisiana. So um, obviously I've, I've, I've experienced the Louisiana lifestyle. Um, my mom was born and raised in Metairie and kind of grew up there. Um, so I mean, I've definitely experienced the, the Louisiana lifestyle, but obviously being born and raised in California myself, um, coming over here for school about a year ago was definitely a culture shock. Um, but I've loved it every second that I've been here, and I look forward to it. You know, I was talking to Chandler, obviously as the quarterback, and the fact that you guys are in a competition, you're going to be asked about it a lot. How do you balance... You're ultra competitive. You're also friends. You're also teammates. You both want the job. How do you approach that balance each day? Yeah, I think um, you approach it with a a mindset that you just want to get better every day, individually and as a team. Uh, I think going into day one of camp tomorrow, you want to start off strong um, and kind of put your best foot forward because you want want to start with a a good day and uh, kind of build off that day. Um, so I think every day you, you just kind of put your best foot forward. You, you focus on every little thing that you can, um, whether it be within the offense um, or in the weight room or running with the team. Um, I think that's kind of just how you go about it. You, you come with a mindset that you're not too focused on the future. Um, you're focused on the now, and, uh, and everything will kind of handle itself. What's the um, most cerebral aspect of the quarterback position? I think it's the relationships with your teammates um, and the and the love and, and the care that you have for your teammates because ultimately, if you're going to be a quarterback of a, of a program and kind of ultimately be the face of a program as a quarterback, you got to be able to the trust. Uh, you got to be able to have the trust and the respect and the love from your teammates because without them, you're nothing. Um, without the five guys in front of you playing O-line, you're nothing. Without the three or four receivers out on every single pass play, you're nothing. So I think the, the love and the respect you have for your teammates and the love and respect and trust and belief that your teammates have in you as a quarterback that's that's the biggest thing in being a quarterback you got to be able to look your teammate in the eye you got to be able to look your center in the eye your right guard left guard left tackle left tackle right tackle in the eye and tell them that you have their back and know that they have your back ben walrich our guest louisiana education quarterback You've had coaches here that were college quarterbacks too, whether it be Coach Billy Napier, who was a play caller, whether it be Coach Michael Desimo, who was quarterback here and also a play caller. Is that just kind of an added bonus as a quarterback? Definitely, definitely. Um, and I think Coach Des has has been a huge influence in the quarterback room, working with us every day because he's played the position. He actually played it here. He know he knows the lifestyle. He knows kind of every little um, detail about the quarterback position. Um, he knows how he wants his things to operate, and he he always tells us focusing on the details, the the differences in the details. Um, so I think having him in the room every day, um, kind of reiterating and 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 kind of talking to us about everything belongs in the details and starts with the little details um, is a huge, huge, huge step for us um, in the quarterback room. If you don't mind, Ben, I want to go back a little bit. When you transferred here from Fresno State, what what was the reason for that decision? Um, A lot of things played into that reason, um, but I mean, ultimately, I'm happy where I'm at. I I love it here. I love UL, um, and I think I'm definitely excited for the next two years. No doubt. The offensive line, I was talking to Carlos and AJ about it, and they have some experience, but 
if we're on the outside and we don't get to be at practice all the time, we just can look at a sheet of paper and say, all right, well, this unit has more experience than this one and this one. We can look at the O-line and put it as a question mark, not to say that they're going to be bad or good, just we kind of want to see it. You've been around these guys, and I know you know practice starts tomorrow, but you've been around them. You've been around them last year. You've been around them in summer workouts. How would you describe the offensive line? I think the offensive line is strong. Um, every single one of those guys have a, have a relationship with each other, and no matter who you put, in the game or in those spots whether it be center right guard right tackle left guard left tackle um they're going to perform and i think uh they have a ton of um talent on the offensive line we got a bunch of athletic dudes we got a bunch of big dudes and i think um no matter like i said they're all interchangeable they're all a bunch of studs um, and i think they all come to work with a, a worker's mentality every single day and i think that's what's helped them um, this summer um me personally i've i've gotten to witness it and i've gotten to work alongside it and i think the the attitude that gilly brings every day the attitude that um carlos rubio the attitude that d huddy brings the attitude that jacks harrington brings even landon um being out for most of the spring but the attitude he brings to recovery the attitude he brings to his rehab um that helps the whole entire o-line it kind of sets an example um that all those those although those dudes um are the older guys and they know how to do things it sets the example for every single o-line below them um or younger than him um that this is the way the o-line does it here and this is how we want it done um i think that's a huge thing they're a bunch of great dudes they're talented dudes and i think they're hard working and I, I think that'll ultimately help the whole team um this season all right let's learn a little bit about ben walrus what, what kind of kind of music do you like to listen to um so i mean i'm i'm kind of more of a laid-back uh, relaxing type of guy so i i, I listen to a bunch bunch of bunch of country um then some some kind of like island music whether it be uh island boys yeah. no not kidding. that i'm kidding I'm not kidding. that but uh some kind of some kind of just like relaxing music that kind of helps you clear your head and um and focus on what what's coming well jack johnson maybe yeah jack johnson banana pancakes okay. um, everything <laughs> like, like that it. yeah like better it. together yeah it's funny i was talking to peter leblanc i'm like you know they play music at practice sometimes yeah. how do you like it he's like they don't play enough of this stuff I like. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. like I you, you might feel the same guy, way. So, yeah, he Pete, is. Pete and I go golfing together, and um, it's always either country on, on the uh, stereo or on the speaker, um, or I think my, sometimes he throws in some classic rock uh, oh, yeah, yeah. throwbacks. ACDC yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Woolrich has been our guest. Ben, best of luck, man, Thank and uh, we'll talk to you again this season. All right? Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Ben Woolrich. He's in a quarterback competition with Chandler Fields. Young man from Metairie spoke with Chandler as well. That conversation coming your way right after this. It's a Give Me All You Got Friday on the Great Scott Show. Give me all you got. Give me all you got. And we'll be right back right after this. While the team's giving all they got against the opponent, he's giving all he's got on the airwaves. Give me all you got. Give me all it's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Friday. Want to remind you, Eat Lafayette still happen for another month. 
You've probably already done it, but if not, get your Eat Lafayette passport. Visit LafayetteTravel.com. Easy, it's simple. You get it on your phone, and anytime you eat at one of the many, many, many participating Eat Lafayette restaurants, you enter for a chance to win a trip to Charlotte. Eat local, enjoy the food, support local businesses, win a trip. Everybody wins. Not everybody can win the starting quarterback battle for Louisiana's Raging Cajuns. Chandler Fields or Ben Walrich, one of those two will win it. As Coach Desermo told me yesterday, this thing needs to be settled by August 22nd when they break camp and start preparing for the season opener 13 days after that. They don't want to drag this thing out. This doesn't need to be a few days before... He says, no, the guys need to know, the team needs to know. Which means you only got a little over two weeks to separate yourself enough to get the job. You heard from Ben Walrich a minute ago. Here's my conversation with Chandler Fields. All right, ESPN Lafayette, I'm Scott Prather, and uh, chatting right now with Chandler Fields, Louisiana Ranger Cajun quarterback. A couple of years here now, man, how is... How is your approach to the start of fall camp different with each year, right? From Go back to the first time you were on campus to now. I think freshman year when I first got here was, I mean, I didn't know what to expect, so I just kind of went in with open arms, just like ready for it all. I think the second year with COVID was definitely a curveball, so Coach Napier had us really honed in in what we were doing, so it was very structured. And last year was kind of the same way we kind of really piggybacked off the previous year but this year I feel like there's a lot more not on my shoulders but just a whole new set of challenges to embrace and I think we're ready for that as a team and as a coaching staff as the quarterback it's you know there's they're, they're not looking to have a two quarterback system they're looking for one guy to win the job you and Ben it's been pretty documented it's between you two guys how do you keep the, you know, it's your teammate, you guys are friends, right, but yeah. you both want to compete, right? Sure. How do you handle that balance? I think it's good to have competition within the room. I think since I've been here, I've competed with at least seven guys. So, I mean, it's nothing new. I think the key for me is just being myself and just keep doing what I've done since I was a young kid, and that's play the game of football and play it like I play it. So I think that's what I'll do this year, and I think – Ben's going to do a great job, and I will too, so I'm excited. Chandler Fields, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. I uh, I asked Coach, you know, what's the question you've been asked the most about each other? Quarterback, everyone's going to ask about it. Wants to have it settled, you know. I mean, you've worked so hard to this moment, but before you know it, 22nd will be here, fall camp will be over, a start will be named, and then you guys will be kicking off. So do you, um, do you get – maybe butterflies is the wrong word, but – it is a little different now, as you said, right? Yeah. It's it's a different approach from when you first got here. I mean, I think you knew when you were competing in the past, well, yeah, but Levi's kind of been here a while. Mm-hmm. So um, do, you, do you have any, any nerves about it, or is it more just excitement? I really don't think I have any nerves about it. I'm really excited just to honestly just be able to play again because I've been practicing for three years, and our practices are very game-like with the competition we have, especially at UL and uh I just feel like it's it's time, so 
I'm, I'm excited. What I always, you know, found notable is when Levi would, would leave a game for a play here or there, maybe his helmet was knocked off, whatever, right? Typically in the past, I would see a, you know, an offense, well, you put it in the back of quarterback, you get to hand the ball off. It seemed like every time you'd go in, Coach Stampy would immediately call a pass play. I mean, I, I, I say that's unusual because it is, and yet you guys weren't surprised. I mean, did you like the idea of, man, if I'm going to be out here, let me, let me sling it, even if it's just for one play? Yeah, honestly, uh, some of the plays were pass plays, which was very surprising. But some were run plays where I uh, I threw the ball anyway because it was an RPO and the defense gave me a look where I could throw it. But I think just part of it was just going out there and just taking advantage of my moment. And in practice every single day, it was very much like we do ones and twos, but everybody takes the same amount of reps. So they knew I was prepared to go in at any moment and had my chance to throw it. Yeah, you threw it well. Sir. And I guess the hardest part is coming out of the game after that. I think the hardest part might be going into the game cold. Really? And well, coming out stinks, but going in cold is. And yet, pretty, it's you, pretty tough. You didn't hesitate. RPO, it's, it's there. Let me throw it. You can't hesitate, right? Sure. Chandler Fields, our guest. Uh, All right, and so we're uh, we're visiting with Chandler Fields, Louisiana Education quarterback. What's the most cerebral part of the position? the preparation before a game, the week leading up to it, even fall camp really. Because fall camp you add so many plays in such a short time period. 13 days is like 130 plays, so it's a crazy amount of plays. But I think the week of preparation before a game, even like the day of the game, we even have walkthroughs, which is crazy. And the night before we watch film as a whole entire unit. So I think all the way up until kickoff, we're preparing and we're ready to go. You know, um... I was talking to, to Peter LeBlanc earlier and you know, a number of receivers. There's a lot of receivers on this team. They have a lot of depth there. How do you work on the timing with that many guys? Who, you know, some places they're playing maybe three, four deep here. A lot of guys get in there. So does that make your, your, your job a little more difficult? I don't think it makes it more difficult. I think it's an extreme, like, compliment that we have that many guys that are that good a receiver. And I think each position, like X, is more of a bigger receiver. So Z, like Peter LeBlanc, is a speedster. So you really throw to all the X's like the same way. And all the H's are slot guys. So it's just almost like with the position tie, like X, Y, Z, or H, it's really how you throw the ball to them. So I really don't think it makes it any more difficult. When, when it comes to, to running, are you a quarterback that's, look, if it's there, I'll take it, but I'd rather throw it? Or, or sometimes you're kind of looking to run? I think sometimes I look to run just to keep the defense honest. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I I'll just sit there and throw it. So I think it's the both, best of both worlds. As far as the offensive line goes, on the outside, we're not at practice all the time. We're not at summer workouts. We can look at a sheet of paper and say, okay, they, you know, Hudson and Gilly and, and Ruth, they got some guys returning. But overall, maybe they don't have as much experience as these other units. What is your confidence level in the O-line? And, and how would you describe them as a unit right now? Uh, I'm extremely confident in this O-line. I think all the guys that came up with me with my year, the freshman year, which was three years ago, we've been preparing. And each day at practice, it's basically a game. So, I mean... We're ready to go in at any moment. So, And we have a lot of freshmen that just came in that are extremely skilled alumni as well. So throughout fall camp, they're going to get groomed and to be a great alumni. So Johnny Lumpkin, I mean, let's let's say something nice about him first. Um, he's a leader on the team. He's, he's a very good tight end, uh, despite, you know, one one big mistake in his life, which we'll get into later. But uh, what what is what about him 
stands out to you? Is on the outside we see, all right, he's a good player, he's a leader. What's it like being his teammate, though? Uh, he's an extremely vocal leader, which is what we need as a team. So he keeps it straight, and he's definitely a veteran, older guy, and he's just an extremely great player, person, and just he's a great leader. But I mean, he is a Falcons fan. Falcons man. He, uh, I get on him about the Falcons a lot. So every time we play during the year, Falcon Saints. I'm on him. So. I mean, he's from Atlanta. You're from New Orleans. Yeah. But that, you know, being from Atlanta shouldn't be an excuse. I mean, he should know better. He should be a Saints fan. <laughs> Who doesn't like the Saints? So. The, I was grilling him one time on it, and I reversed it on him. And he started saying, I mean, I don't mind the Saints. I mean, they're good. I'm like, see, now you're not being a real Falcons fan. Yeah, like, all right, all right. Borderline. But he, he, he talked his way out of it. He's good at that. He is very good at talking his way out of things. Um, Especially about the Falcons. He has the best ticket in sports. So, you know, you've been here for a number of years, and ever since you've been here, your head coach, your previous coach, your current coach, played quarterback in college. Is that a benefit to have the head coach as the play caller and play the position? Is that is that how big of an added bonus is that for you? I think it's a huge bonus because he knows what the QB is thinking. We know what he's thinking. So if we're both on the same page, it's very dangerous. But I think he has confidence in us, and he knows the pressure that comes along with the position. So he's going to always put us in the best position possible to win. I was talking to one of your former teammates last week, uh, Jalen Williams, and he said that, um, you know, I don't remember how it got brought up, but we're talking about Coach Desimone. He said he gets the mental health side of things. He, he, he knows how to read players. You know, you, you use the word mental health or the phrase, rather. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But what do you think it means is in, in the world of college football, and how is Coach Desimone tuned into that? I actually never thought about the mental health side of it. But when I do think of it, it's the way he's run the program thus far is way less stressful than previous. And I think that's good for us, and it won't tire out the team as quick as it once did. Like, last last couple of years, like, by the end of the last game, you're like, I'm ready for this end. So I think this year it might be more like I want to actually, like, play for this guy and be a part of something great. Coach uh, Michael Desimo, he's – said the question he's asked about the most is that quarterback uh, battle and you know I I imagine for you and Ben I know we talked about it earlier it's something that that you guys embrace but ultimately you know in a couple of weeks you want to be named the starting quarterback I think me and Ben have a good enough relationship to where whatever happens it won't be detrimental to the team and that's the key because it's not about me or Ben it's about the team winning and it's about our community being successful as Cajun so I think we're in the right hands no matter what. Chandler Fields has been our guest. Man, I appreciate you taking the time. Sure. All the best, and I will talk to you this season. Thank you. Thank you. It's Chandler Fields. I'll have some more player interviews for you next week. Looking forward to a number of guests. It's going to be fun. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm Scott Prather. This has been The Great Scott Show. Dan Patrick is next on ESPN Lafayette, the best team.